Welcome to episode 7 of The Transport Wheels in Motion. The Transport by Alex Ames. You are listening to The Transport, a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast, written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Lucky number seven. Already seven episodes in. Again, just some small remarks. If you are not subscribed yet, do it. If you like what you hear, comment me on any of my channels. Alex Ames Writing is my handle on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Where did we leave our heroes? Leo dreams of Eva at night when the girlfriend of a co-worker calls him up and asks him about her missing boyfriend Wendell. Leo started his day with him, but hadn't seen him yet. Herbert tries to get out of his attack team duties, but the Supreme Commander stands firm and wants Herbert to be where the action is going to be. Charles starts the day of days by arriving in the Situation Room in the basement at the Pentagon, where a group of sour military officers complain about not being in the loop. Charles shows them who the boss is, and the transport is moving. Sina and the army transport team did everything right. The transport is moving out of its secret hangar, out in the open, heavily guarded by helicopters and a group of army rangers and a jet. Cena still finds that the whole setup is very suspicious, but concentrates on her job. With that said, here we go again. Chapter 19 Leo Leo arrived early the next morning, eager to spend another day with the hottest girl on the planet. He parked his car in his usual space. Huh. Wendell's car stood in the same spot as yesterday, had not left at all. Leo walked into the building and spontaneously decided to take a detour into Wendell's department to check up on his colleague. Wendell was not in. He knocked on the next occupied office. Nowhere I find Wendell? The colleague looked up. Haven't seen him yet, sorry. But he should be in already, saw his car in the lot. Okie dokie. Leo dazzled her with an extra-wide smile and made his way to his own department. No Wendell at work, no Wendell at home. Where was that man? Eva sat in her own cubicle, wearing the same hot outfit as yesterday. 
A girl that did not even change her t-shirt? Maybe she's like Steve Jobs and has 20 identical outfits in her wardrobe? She glanced at her watch when Leo approached her desk. Am I too late? No, she smiled at him disarmingly and Leo's legs felt weak. I was waiting for you. How was your evening? All good. Ah, uh, remember the guy who showed you the way to the HR department yesterday? Sure, very nice man. Wendell, right? He had asked me out. Wendell, I kill you. Slowly, very slowly. Yep, his girl called me last night. She was looking for him. Uh-oh, he's missing. I'm wondering. When I came in, his car was in the same spot as yesterday when I left. A mystery. I like mysteries. Shall we look for him? We are in a bioscience company. The only mystery here is how we receive R&D funding for the next quarter. Everything else is solid explainable science and commerce, Leo laughed. But Eva was right. This was mysterious. We could take the promised tour of the office, roam every floor, peek into any meeting room we can find, into every closet. Why would Wendell hide in a closet on Legion's premise and never get home? Leo was the king of witty. On his PC, he checked Wendell's instant messaging status indicator, which read, 14 hours inactive. Then we need to look in the non-obvious places. How about this? I'll write him an email and send a text to contact me ASAP. Let's give him two hours to check in. Then we further define the non-obvious and start a search. Deal. Eva smiled. Then her forehead frowned. Leo, is my job safe here? What do you mean by safe? You are on probation for usually six months, so I guess it depends on your performance. No, that's not what I mean. But is there a bigger layoff going on today? Leo glanced around. Data Analytics Cubicleville looked as ever at this hour. No suspicious water cooler gatherings, most shades of managers' offices and meeting rooms open. No security people lingered around. What makes you think that? Some senior manager types passed our section twice, took someone along, without coming back, including our boss. Leo looked over to the office of his boss but could not see the man. Our boss was the taker or come along? The taker, Eva clarified, and he left with the other team manager, the supply chain guy. This is a lab and analytics company. We deal with sensitive customer data. No way a layoff would happen without massive security presence. A security guy on every floor and door. Individual escorts to the desk, if at all. Been there, done that in my previous job. But we don't see any of this here. Leo scratched his belly, still glancing around. But you are right, this could explain why Wendell's gone. Well, not completely, his car is still parked outside. Don't you love a mystery? Eva asked. I love my paycheck and the Kansas City Chiefs, Leo said. Everything else is debatable. Why don't we follow one of the managers the next time we see someone's being picked up? 
Eva proposed. I like that. That is much better than an inner join left on our sample to trial database. A minute later, after Leo had grabbed a coffee and started to go through his first emails of the day, he noticed that Eva had conned him into leaving their desk and go roaming the building. That lady has a plan. I wonder which one. Either this company is fishy and she is the shark, or she is fishy and we are... This analogy died in its infancy, Leo. They were about to make the trek downstairs to the cafeteria under the cover of getting real coffee and some donuts when their boss returned. Tim was about 40 and had carefully arranged his receding thin black hair from left to right. He gave Leo and Eva a glance. How's it going? he asked over the cubicle wall. All good. Eva here is a genius in SQL and shell scripting. A keeper. Leo said. We're just about to go downstairs. Should we bring you anything? Tim shook his head and then went back into his office. Something's bugging our boss, Leo said quietly. And something was wrong with him, but Leo couldn't put a finger on it. Was it his dress, chinos and polo, as usual? Something changed in his gait? When he didn't hear the obvious question from his partner, he looked down and saw her staring at her watch intently. Time for something else? Eva looked up quickly, as if she got caught smoking in the restroom. Nothing. Coffee? And a donut. And we tried to bolster up our layoff theory. They detoured, and instead of going the straight line to the elevator and the cafeteria, they took the long road. First up one level, through the staircase on the end of the wing, then all the way through the third floor, taking their time, Liu making small talk with various co-workers he knew, then riding down to ground floor and walking from the other side towards the small cafeteria. Eva glanced nervously at her watch several times, but Liu kept quiet. If she was indeed some sort of undercover policewoman, he wanted her to do her job. She gave him a small painful nudge with her elbow and cocked her head. Leo rubbed his side and followed the indicated direction. Bingo. Our general manager, Joff Carling, Leo whispered, coming straight at them from the cafeteria and in Tao, he had one of his direct reports, Nicole Boyd, Legion's chief financial officer. Carling chatted with her, both nodded at Leo and Eva while passing. Eva, busy with her watch again. And same as with Tim, Leo couldn't put a finger on something he observed, something to do with Carling's gait or dress. The two managers vanished into the elevator just as Eva and Leo had inconspicuously turned around and almost had caught up with them. To Leo's surprise, the elevator did not ride up towards Carling's office, but into the basement. The basement? Nothing's down there. Or is there? Leo thought. Wait for the next elevator or take the stairs? Eva answered the unspoken question by opening the staircase door. She looked like a cat homing in on a bird. 
Leo followed again out of breath from walking at her pace. He remembered last night's dream and watched her sexy behind, bouncing down the stairs lightly. This time I'll keep up. Eva peered into the basement corridor from the staircase door. Carling and the finance manager had vanished into one of the corridors, a door falling closed somewhere in the western part of the basement. Eva moved silently and Leo tried to imitate her, but 210 pounds was no match against 110 pounds of his petite co-worker. Left and right were closed doors, maybe storage or facility rooms. He had never been down here. Leo remembered that there had to be a computing data center somewhere down here too, but that was about all he knew. Maybe an audit going on? Or a secret war room preparing a merger with a rival? Eva peered around the next corner and then quickly crossed the small hall that was underneath the building's lobby. I think it came from this corridor, Eva whispered. But which door? Leo looked doubtfully at the room of identical doors left and right, then pointed at one a few yards down to the right. Danger, high voltage. This one's our door. How do you know? What better way to keep sensible people out? Everyone has respect of high voltage. Hmm. Do we open it or knock politely? Leo asked. Eva looked at her watch. What is it with you and your watch? Are we missing some meeting upstairs? Leo whispered. She just shook her head and placed her hand on the handle. I'm not sure I want to continue this, Leo muttered. But Eva opened the door anyway. Chapter 20 Sina The landscape flew by and Sina had to marvel again at the perfect cleanup job of the engineering corp. After 15 minutes of high speed, the first pit stop appeared in the distance. A neat row of tank trucks parked alongside the road at the right end of the desert strip. Sina made her checks, battery full, fuel type, let each truck's pump engine roar. Kimmick stood in the jeep and observed the surroundings. Like a Mad Max doomsday scenario, he remarked when Cena climbed back into the jeep. Never liked Mel Gibson. Too troubled? Too white. Danny Glover was hotter. Then. They rode for another mile when Kimmick shouted over the wind. Glover didn't have a role in Mad Max. Sina pointed a gotcha pistol finger at Kimmick. How far do you want to go? Veracity Junction. The rest will check in the afternoon. Coming right up. Another few minutes of racing down the desert and Veracity Junction appeared after a long stretched hill. They could see the issue far off. A lone police cruiser with flashing lights blocked the T-junction. 
So much for no eyes on the object, Sina said. Let me handle it, Sergeant. I'm only responsible for the rolling wheels, remember, sir? Damn it, so am I. Kimmick let the jeep roll the last hundred yards and stopped before the cruiser. An overweight sheriff heaved himself out. Kimmick jumped out of the jeep. Sina stood up to watch the show. Sheriff, Kimmick greeted the man. Officer, the man chewed gum and had his hand lazily rested at his holster. Lieutenant Kimmick, 2nd Transport Battalion, U.S. Army. I'm the officer on the ground responsible for the ruckus. Sure, the sheriff had a poker face. The instructions said to build a roadblock ten miles further towards veracity, Kimmick pointed down the road. Something's going on that we are not aware about? No, all good. We blocked the road all right. No traffic all morning. The sheriff spat out. Yet, Kimmick left the man an opening to realize his mistake. The sheriff looked lazily at the army officer. All under control. Yet, you are here. The instructions said ten miles down. The instructions said ten miles down the road. That's what we did. The instructions stated to keep away. We have jurisdiction in this county, and this is a public road. The sheriff looked into Kimmick's eyes. Our county. You may want to verify your position, sir, Kimmick tried reason. This is, the sheriff mimicked Kimmick and pointed downwards with his index fingers, our position. Kimmick frowned, walked back to the jeep and picked up the microphone. Major? After a moment, Bristol came on. Corporal. We have a situation here, Kimmick explained what was going on. Sina thought Bristol's one-word reply actually sounded enthusiastic. Copy. Three minutes later, one of the Apache helicopters roared up on their position, followed by a Bell Twin Huey troop transporter that Sina had not spotted before. The Apache hovered menacingly about 50 yards before the sheriff's car, and the Twin Huey touched down on the side of the sheriff's car, the side door already open. Eight fatigue special unit operators exploded from the side, all fully armed to the teeth, their guns pointed at the sheriff, who lifted his arms. It took the team five seconds to secure the sheriff's weapon, zip-tie his feet and hands, force a bottle of water into his fingers, and put him gently into the back of his own car. One soldier got behind the wheel and sped away with the police car towards veracity. Both helicopters roared off again, the Apache back towards the transport, the twin Yui towards veracity. From arrival to execution in less than 30 seconds. Solved, Bristol's voice came in over the intercom. Affirmative, Kimmick replied. You're welcome. Sina and Kimmick were alone again, having watched the show from their jeep. What? 
Kimmick said when Cena gave him a toot-toot frown. We shouldn't show our faces in veracity again like ever. The law might not be exactly on our side from today on. Yeah, and I had planned to go there for the hot springs. Hot springs? I was misinformed, Kimmick cited Bogey and turned the jeep around. Back to the ranch. Sir, who picked me for the job? Sina asked. Kimmick drove and spoke without looking at her. Not me. I haven't even seen your file. I understand you're working in administration these days. I'm into logistics planning now, out of Fort Lee. More paperwork, less desert. She waved at their surroundings. Command demoted you over some accident. For someone who had not read her file, he knew a lot. Sina felt her head beat faster. The hot desert wind tugged at her short black hair and she wished to be elsewhere. A young private died under my command. The inquiry ruled it an accident, but not everyone saw it that way. Mac? And pretty much anyone else on the team. Even Gorsuch's gentle Russian soul. He is polite about it, but I know that I let him down. Let them all down. People die in our profession, Kimmick said, giving her a quick side look. In combat or by accidents. If you don't mind, I'd like to change the subject, sir, Sina said. To her surprise, he complied and tried not psychological bullshit. Instead, changed the topic. You like this more than the paperwork? You can really tell? Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption. This story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel, COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other e-tailers. Check it out. It's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name. Alex Ames, the author. That being said, buy the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 21 Leo A storage room. No, another biochem lab? Another lab? 
Leo's thoughts commented his observations. No sight of Carling and Nicole Boyd, but muted voices carried over from somewhere else. Were they in the wrong room? Eva and he tiptoed along the row of shelves. The dominating sound was the underlying buzzing and humming of the devices that produced the typical smelly warmth of running electronics. There was an additional pungent smell too, something moldy. Eva studied the readouts and glanced at her watch again. Then Leo saw a row of large floor freezer units on the right side. He tapped his companion on the shoulder and pointed with his thumb. Eva studied the opening mechanism of the white boxes. They were white household units, about five feet wide and three feet deep, used in basements all over the US, filled after a rich garden harvest, a deep freeze coupon spree or a successful hunting season. She fumbled with the opener on the top of the lid, pushing left, right, up, without results. Leo gently pushed her aside and twisted the handle. Your mom had no freezer in the basement? My mom rides a Harley, Eva replied. With a plomb, he opened the freezer's lid. Wendell's body lay neatly folded inside, gentle swirls of freezer fog around him. Ah! Leo screamed and took two steps back, crashing with his back into the shelf behind, which in turn made a hell of a noise, the content rattling loudly. He regained his balance, sank onto all fours, and threw up his breakfast. His colleague, his former colleague, was naked and dead. The upper part of his body looked unharmed, but the lower part was a bloody mess, although the type of injury could not be identified at first glance. Eva's eyes darted first to the body and back to the other side of the room where they could hear movement. The door opened and Leo heard the end of an angry Herbert sentence. Yeah, and who's standing guard? There was a second of freeze frame as Hank Joris, the biochem department manager, and R&D head Daryl Grant stared eye to eye with Eva and Leo. Don't move! Hank found his voice again first and shouted, Guys! To Leo's horror, Daryl pulled up a shotgun he had slung over his back and pointed it in their direction. Leo's hand traveled up automatically while he was still kneeling on the ground and Eva took two steps forward, five steps away from the man with the gun. Carling's head showed up behind Daryl in the door. No! The CEO's voice screamed. The equipment! He pushed Daryl's shotgun arm down from behind just as Daryl pulled the trigger and a load of pellets shredded the plastic floor left of Eva with a bang that made everyone's ear go pop, the ricochets hitting the concrete wall and the side of the freezers. Leo ducked his head and protected his eyes with an arm. When he looked again... He saw that Eva was charging the three men, an utterly determined expression on her face. Daryl got rid of Carling's arm and pointed the gun at Eva. 
Next one goes into your gut, lady. Equipment, my ass. Eva stopped cold, her arms at her side, right in front of him. She did not move, but Leo had the impression that she was a tiger evaluating her dinner options, ready to jump. Leo raised his hands again and slowly got up on his feet. Good idea, Daryl said. Girl, your hands up, visible at all times, and step back. Carling stepped fully into the room, too. Help! 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 Nicole Boyd shouted from the next room, broke into cries. Please, help me! The CFO's voice suddenly died as if someone had stuffed something into her mouth. Clearly, these jokers had something ugly and sick going on. Leo's heart sank. This would not end well for Eva and him, nor for poor Nicole. Her muffled whines carried over from next door. Do we have them on the list? Carling asked. Hank Joris shook his head. Leo is too much out of shape to be of any use, and the girl... It's Eva, right? She started yesterday. Out of shape? Leo closed his eyes briefly. He did not need to be a rocket scientist to understand that this was more of an Eichmann list than a Schindler's. Something terribly bad and really, really sick was going on. A bloody dead Wendell in his grave was only the tip of the iceberg. Daryl asked, should I kill them or do you want to convert them to Supreme Commander? Calling as Supreme Commander? Oh great, we are among some scientist Nazi experimenting on humans. Leo glanced around whether there was something he could use, but there was nothing, no weapon, no fire alarm button to press, no flimsy looking sprinkler outlet activated with a little brute force. And even if there was, Leo stood on the wrong end of a mean looking shotgun, which alone made his knees knock. Eva now had her arms raised and stood beside Leo again, still tense. She was a fighter, that much was clear, Leo sighed. That even made her more sexy. Great, Leo, ordinary hero, thinking about a co-worker's sex, when about to be cut into pieces by mad scientists. Get a grip! The muffled shrieks and screams for help turned louder from the other room. Hank! Help Herbert, shut her up and finish it, Carling commanded, and Joris moved next door. Carling decided, let's convert those two anyway. We will need any help we can, even if it's only cannon fodder. With Wendell and Coulthard dead, we need replacements anyway. He gave the two prisoners a nasty smile. Hey, look at it from the bright side. We'll turn you into fighters. Leo swallowed. His voice broke up and he croaked. Cannon fodder sounds good for me. I had nothing for lunch. Idiot, Carling said. The fodder will be you. Idiot yourself, boss commander, Leo spat. I got that. Ever heard of wisecracking? Somehow it felt good to call his boss idiot. Even though his boss did not act his usual self. The normal Carling was a demanding but empathetic boss and this Carling version seemed to have swallowed a little brown Hitler pill as had his other colleagues. 
Eva's and Leo's lifted hands touched lightly, and Leo felt Eva's tension grow even more, like a spring ready to uncoil, giving him a sign to continue with his distractions. The girl was getting ready for something. Hank Joris came over from the next room with a roll of duct tape in his hand. Herb and I need help. She's like a wildcat and we are out of roofies. Can't have her legs spread properly. I'm worried she ruins something in the lab when she's able to get away. Another chill ran down Leo's back. Spread her legs. Carling looked at Joris, then at the duct tape. Let's fix those two first, then we have two more hands for Nicole. Otherwise we give up on her and take someone else. Leo's mind ran on overdrive. Eva and he were in a desperate situation, captured by some cruel people, like in a bad movie. Like in a movie. Think, Leo, what would a movie hero do? Eva and you, classic body movie. A bad body movie, like with more horror. Jack Chan, the action guy, and Chris Tucker, the overdrive funny guy. Eva Chan and Leo Tucker. What would Chris Tucker do? Crazy talk. Talk them against the wall. You can do that, Leo Parker. Kill them with words. Distract the bad guys. Who are you people? Leo started. You can't just kill and rape people as you like. There will be consequences. He felt Eva shifting beside him, leaning forward ever so slightly. Good girl. She read his play and acted. Hank stepped closer with the tape and started to peel off a foot-long piece. Leo, you're first. Hands in front. Leo held his hands out front, pushed Joris away angrily. You're animals. That's what you are. Filthy animals. You should be in a zoo or a pen. Pigs. That's what you are. Dirty pigs. The animal remark triggered something within Carling. His eyes turned into slits and he lifted his hand, either to point a finger at Leo or to slap him. No stopping for Leo. Coward, piggy little cowards. Leo lowered his hands and took a step forward while talking non-stop. Carling's hand came down for the slap, but it didn't come to that. Hank Joris came closer again too, now angry himself after Leo's insults, and he forgot the line of gun coverage. The moment he stepped between Daryl's shotgun and the two prisoners, Eva's hand snapped out at an incredible speed, grabbing Hank's left hand, twisting it and pushing him into Daryl. It was Hank's lucky day that Daryl did not discharge the gun accidentally into his guts. Instead, both men stumbled against the shelf. Run, Leo! Eva cried and punched Carling into the stomach, the man doubling over with a deflating oof. Leo needed no second reminder. As agile as his body mass let him, he jumped through the basement door, Eva at his heels. She slammed the lab door shut, not a second too soon as a shotgun blast rained against it from the inside, pockmarking the steel door on the outside. With another show of extreme physical force, Eva twisted the door handle so hard that Leo heard something break inside the lock mechanisms. Cool trick. I bet it comes handy if you... 
Another shot of pellets slammed into the door. She overtook him and pulled him behind her towards the staircase. Shut up and run, Leo! Chapter 22 Herbert Despite the incident in the basement and Leo and Eva fleeing the scene, the school bus took off from Legion Analytics shortly after 11 in the morning. The back of the bus had been converted, the last four rows of benches had been ripped out, and instead Herbert's team had placed the bathtub. Ten plastic containers with ten gallons each of the milky nutrition fluids, plus seven life pods beside the plethora of weapons filled the rest of the space. Various car batteries, pumps and tubes ensured that the seven pods were in proper life support until the inhabitants had converted into humans. Smitty and Herbert ran through their final checklists to see if everything had been loaded. Eighteen Legion employees occupied the front row, rolling through the morning traffic, midday sun well up in the New Mexico sky, burning down. The mood was tense. Everything up to here had been a rehearsal, sandbox games and plans, and everybody knew it. The shooting training in the bowling alley had worked better than Herbert wanted to admit. Even the physical weaker members of the team had figured out how to handle and aim the weapons quickly enough. It gave Herbert hope that the upcoming attack might play out in their favor eventually. The Leo and Eva episode was regrettable. Why so reckless and so curious? It was still beyond Herbert's understanding how those two had found them out. And then the two had overpowered three of them just like that. Correction. She, Eva, had an amazing girl. And they had gotten away. But what could they do? No one would believe their story. And by the time someone did, Herbert and his people were already gone. By now, almost two hours after the incident, the police had not shown up. Still on the loose, but Eva and Leo were unable to hurt the operation. The bus left Veracity city limits and approached the junction that led towards the highway. A single cruiser blocked the road in front of a wooden barrier. The deputy flagged them down when they approached. Herbert opened the window. A problem, officer? Herbert asked. He heard Smitty's whisper behind him. He's alone. Can I? Linny asked, excitement in her voice. She seemed to have found a liking in guns overnight. Can I, please? The deputy was alert. Soldiers had shipped his boss into town in the trunk of his own cruiser, accompanied by a military helicopter, Quite a spectacle, talk of the town for years to come. It motivated everyone on the police force to be extra careful today. 
The orders were clear. Don't let anyone through. Sorry, folks. The road is closed for the rest of the day. No way through. No alternative. You must... Come on, I must learn sometimes, Linny argued in the back, and Smitty talked to her. Got any issues with among your passengers? The deputy stood on his toes to glance into the bus interior, tense but friendly faces looking back at him. Scientists, I tell you, Herbert said, drew his own gun and pointed it at the man. Don't move, officer, he called over his shoulder. Smitty, get a move on. Linny and Smitty immediately stopped their bickering. Are you guys mad? It's Smitty's command, Herbert exploded and almost pointed his gun at Linny. But the bus was too crowded with staff and containers. The deputy still stared astonished at the gun. The designated conversion team stormed out, taped the hand of the deputy and led him to the back of the bus. Smitty glanced at his watch. Five minutes, go, go, go! The team undressed the screaming man and conversion was done after three minutes. He was pampered and redressed after two more. They used no roofie to save on time, so his host endured the full spectrum of pain. They gave him a few minutes to recover. The deputy groaned. I'm all right, team. Go on. Oh, man, this is bright. How do they stand this? And hot. And my butt hurts. Linny used a towel to tap his sweaty face dry. The upright walking thing is neat. They helped him to sit in his police car, left him with some additional water bottles and painkillers, then started the motor to get the air conditioning going. Someone shifted the road barrier and Herbert drove through. The highway came up and everyone immediately saw the bleakness of the scenery with all the phone and power poles removed. Smitty did a quick tour and Herbert used the cleared sidelines of the road to move the bus as close as possible to the spot Smitty indicated. The first ditch for five was dug out quickly, camouflaged and manned. The second group was to cover the rear about 200 yards further down where the transport came from. Most difficult turned out to be the location of the bathtub and the various containers needed for conversions. But a hundred yards down the road, the engineering battalion had stored all the posts and cables of the sector of the road and the team placed their own equipment behind it, out of sight from the road, hidden under desert camouflage netting. Two small gasoline-driven generators spotted a way to create the energy for the cooling and life-generating connectors. After 30 minutes of preparations, they were finished. Herbert and Smitty ran through the checklist again for each outpost. Complete, Smitty smiled grimly. He would take command at the front outpost, which was designated to initiate the attack. Herbert nodded to another bioengineer, Carlson, who would ride the school bus to an old abandoned gas station a few miles further towards town. Good luck. I'll be wait. Everyone heard the noise before they could see it. A whining roar of turbines. Herbert Carlson and Smitty dove under the covers of the outpost camouflage and noticed a jet streaking by high above them. Did it see us? Smitty asked. Yeah, right. At 500 miles per hour at two miles height. It controls the airspace, not the ground. 
He patted Carlson on the back. Go, man, into position. They scanned the sky, but the jet did not return, continuing the straight line east. Carlson manned the bus and drove off quickly. He would use the old gas station to park the bus and stay out of the way. Herbert walked over to his outpost and settled in with his team under the camouflage canopy after downing a bottle of water. The heat was deadly and made them sleepy. Each of them swallowed another round of medication. Now it was a waiting game. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And another shameless self-promotion, if you liked what you heard and think that many of your potential customers might be listening to this podcast too, feel free to contact me at alex.aims.writing at gmail.com or send me a private message on Twitter or Instagram at alexaimswriting, one word. The middle section of this podcast could be reserved for you. And that's it. For real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you. Take care. I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames. This was The Transport. Over and out.